0: Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to Deuteronomy chapter 4, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and we will be focusing our attention on verses 9 to 14 of chapter 4, and we will get through as much as we can this morning of what I've written, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 to 14. Please stand with me for the reading of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word this morning, starting in Deuteronomy chapter 4, all the way to verse 14. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we work through the book of Deuteronomy and as we work and look at the New Testament and all of the different parts of uh, the scriptures that God has given to us, Every single one of us who loves, who professes to love and to cherish and to trust and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation is commanded in both Testaments to reveal that love by obedience, to reveal their love for the Lord by keeping and doing the word of Christ. And James will write this in his epistle in chapter 1. He'll say this, be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, there is a blessing that comes in doing the Word, which James tells us is perfect. The law of God is perfect, and it is also, according to James, the law of liberty. Did you see that in James 1? It is the law of liberty, meaning it is the law that leads to life. Now again, just as a caveat... We are not saved by the doing of the law. Our, com- our obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ and everything he commands is a revelation of the fact that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ. Nobody wins the affection of God by doing the law or by being good. You can't be good enough to measure up to God's perfect standard. We are saved because Christ has saved us. But if you are truly saved, then one of the things that happens when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you is that all of a sudden you say to yourself, I want to live for Jesus. I want to do what Jesus commands me to do. I want to live the life that he has set down for me to live in scripture. I want to experience the joy and the abundance and the blessing of living a life confident in the word of Christ. But back for the Israelites, Moses would consistently tell them, Do the law and that will be your life, meaning when you live in the land, follow the covenant rules of God and they will be a blessing to you in the land. Do them and your life in the land will be abundant, it will be peaceful, it will be free because obedience to the perfect will of God is counterintuitively the pathway to liberty. And so Moses warned ancient Israel over and over and over again of the dangers of forgetting the will of God, forgetting the word of the Lord, and he exhorts them to take care. You see that? The very first words in verse 9, only take care. It's an appeal that is repeated over and over again in various ways throughout the book of Deuteronomy. As we walk through the book, you will see this sustained call to keep and obey and do You repeated in numerous different ways. Keep, be careful, be very careful, take care, observe, guard, pay attention, to name a few. See, the Lord called on Israel to carefully consider, to meditate at all times on His will every hour of every day be consistently meditating on. And In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul will say, be always praying, praying continually. And the Lord organized everything in Israel's life to be a constant reminder of the fact that they, being God's chosen people, were separated to himself as a holy, distinct, set-apart people. And as such... Those Israelites who profess the name of Jesus must or profess the name of Yahweh must present him to the world around them. In the same way that all of us who profess the name of Jesus to be his children by grace through faith, we are his ambassadors in this world. We must represent him with our words, with our actions, with our deeds, with our obedience. To do anything other than to live for and to obey the Lord is to profane his name. That's what the Lord would say to Israel. For them to disobey the very God who brought them up out of Egypt and delivered them from enslavement, to then disobey and to rebel against him would be a profaning, a defamation of his name. And so the Lord will consistently and persistently say, again in verse 9, take care and keep your soul diligently. Be always in communion with the Lord. Be always reminding yourself and calling to mind the wonderful works of our Lord, the wonderful displays of His love and His mercy and His grace in your life. And be determined and diligent to obey all the days of your life. In our day, you and I might go an entire day without thinking about the Lord. Has that ever been you? An entire day without considering His word or praising Him for some blessing or praying to Him because we are so occupied with our work or with our domestic concerns or with our leisure. For the ancient Israelite, as it should be for us, the idea that the Lord might be out of our mind for a full day was unthinkable. Because the Lord would tell them, you must not wear shirts made of two different fabrics, so you must not plant your field with two different types of crops. All of those were reminders or symbolic reminders of the fact that you are a distinct, separate people, not intermingled or intermixed with the nations. God had organized Israel in such a way that everywhere they looked, there was some reminder of the fact that they were God's people and they should be obedient. But if it could come to pass in our life that the Lord is forgotten for a day, guess what? That could extend to two days, or to three days, or to four days, or to five, on to apostasy and rebellion. And so the Lord told Israel, and by way of Israel he tells us, you must keep your soul diligently. You must be careful and disciplined And the Lord has organized us to be a church for this very reason, that your fellow brothers and sisters might be the field that is one crop or the shirt that is one fabric, reminding you of the necessity of living a holy, separated life for the Lord. The Lord puts leaders in place for you for this very reason, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, your leaders are there to keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, Hebrews 13. This is the duty and the cry of any faithful leader. This is the heart of leaders for His beloved people, those whom the Lord has placed under His charge, that He would keep diligent watch over the souls of His people in order to see them persevere to the end. We love to see them start we love to see them persevere to the end. You can see this devotion in the life of Moses. You can see it in the apostles. You can see it in faithful leaders on down through the centuries. It is this that the leaders in God's church praise for. It is To this end that they exhort the people under their care. It is for this that they rebuke when necessary. It is for this that they soldier in the midst of hostilities and divisions around them. It is for this that they preach and teach. It is for this that they live the entirety of their life. But in the end, all your leaders can do is strive to aid you the best way that they can. In the power and in the grace of the Holy Spirit. But you... You, fellow Christian, you, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must, as the apostle told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, you must keep a close watch on yourself. You must, as the apostle Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control And self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the ancient Israelites, the warning was this, if you are not constant, diligent, and disciplined to keep and to guard your souls all the days of your life, Israel, you will forget And you will rebel. So you must always be on guard. Always be careful to remember the things that your eyes have seen. Recall them regularly. Recall regularly the wonderful works of the Lord. Speak about them. Rejoice in them. Glory in them. And revel in them together all the time. Be tireless in calling those around you to behold the glorious power and mercy of God. How grievous would it have been for them to forget? How grievous is, is it for us to forget the wonders of the living God? And all of you people of Israel, ensure that your diligence in remembering the works and the ways of the Lord doesn't just end with you, but make sure that it extends out to your children and that it extends out to your children's children. Make the will and the ways of the Lord known to the next generations for their blessing and benefit too. Let them see and experience the same joy and the same blessing that you have experienced as you lived a life of obedience and faith in Christ. And for the people of God, let me just say this. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Parents, grandparents, you are called to make the laws and the statutes and the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ known to your children and to your children's children. This must be a primary concern for parents and grandparents. Now, every family is going to have their own way of doing this, but look at verse 9. As you do, he says, make them known to your children and to your children's children. Do you see that? Make the ways of God known to your children and to your children's children. There's going to be a whole bunch of different ways for you to do that. For some of you, it might be a daily devotional time. That might be the method that works for you as a family. As you all gather around the table or in the living room or you all gather around the bed together in, in one of the children's rooms and there you read and you teach and you discuss the scriptures together. That might be the way it works for you in your household. If it does, fantastic. Keep it up. Are my kids in here? No? All right. See, we tried that method, <laughs> but it never really stuck. See, whenever I or my wife would call our children, all right, kids, let's sit around the table or let's sit around the bed before and read the scriptures, it would only take 60 seconds, 60 seconds max for one of them to start acting up or poking the other or snickering or saying, I need a drink or saying, I need to go to the washroom. They never sat still, and I found that whenever we did that, I spent more time telling them to listen up than actually speaking the Bible to them. Maybe you... Feel the same? Maybe some of you have the same experience. So our approach morphed into a more teach-as-you-go style, trying to make the most of every opportunity in life, every situation in life, every event in life, every circumstance in life, every question they might have about why the world does what it does or why we as parents choose to do what we do. We tried to turn every single one of these into an occasion to make the will of God known to our children, to speak to them about the goodness and the glory of the gospel of our Lord. That kind of felt more natural to me. And you might have a different style of doing it. It might be the t- around the table. It might be the as you go. It might be another style. Whatever it is, keep doing it. Grow in it for the good and the benefit of your children. If you aren't doing it, start doing it. This is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grandparents, you're not off the hook. Grandparents, you are involved in your children's children's life. And children, let your grandparents teach your children's children the will and the ways of the Lord. If you don't, you're being disobedient. The Lord mandates that every parent take their role as the spiritual teacher to their children seriously. The Lord mandates that every grandparent take the spiritual development of their children seriously. It'll be mentioned over again in Deuteronomy a few times. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 7, we read this. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. Meaning, all the time. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 46, Moses said, Take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. And numerous times throughout the Old Testament and on into the New Testament, the Lord would tell the Israelites, tell his people that when their children would ask about certain memorials or certain celebrations or certain commands, they were to use or to answer in this way. It's kind of a regular thing. So for example, use every moment, use every moment that you're, when your child asks about something, use it as a teaching moment. For example, the Passover. In Exodus chapter 12, we read this in verses 26 to 27. When your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. So as you're celebrating the Passover and your kids ask you, well, what does this all mean? Here's the answer tell your kids. In Joshua chapter 4, we read of a memorial of 12 stones being set up from the Jordan River. And and he said to the people in Joshua chapter 4 verses 6 to 7, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them, The waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And if the people of Israel would actually keep and do the commands of the Lord, there would come a time when their children asked them about the commands as well. Why do you keep all of these commands? And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read this. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves, Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always." that he might preserve us alive as we are to this day, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. You see, the scriptures set it out. Every teaching moment you can have, use it. A new covenant way of doing this might be if your children ask you. Everywhere I go, I hear... Like if I go other places, I hear people cussing. How come you guys don't cuss and swear and take the Lord's name in vain while everyone else seems to do that? And you can answer because the Lord said in the commandments, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And in Ephesians, he says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And we honor and we love the Lord and we want to express that with our language. Or if your child comes and says, why why?" Do why do you forgive those who trespass against you when everybody else seems to just hold on to their hostilities and their bitternesses? Well, because the Lord Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount that if you don't forgive others their sins, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And we want to, to, to be a, a representative of the gospel. We want to be like Jesus, the one who forgave. And so in so doing, I want to forgive. Or why are you fighting for your marriage and considering your marriage inviolable while 60% of the world's marriages are ending in divorce, even if they get married in the first place? Why is yours different, mom and dad? Because we love Jesus and we want to honor Jesus. And our marriage is a picture of the gospel. Ephesians tells us quite clearly that the wife represents the church and the husband represents the Lord. And we want to be a good model of that gospel picture. Or why, don't, why doesn't your household take part in all of the terrible anti-Christ music and television programs on TV that all my friends are discussing at school? Well, because they're vulgar, and they're gross, and they're perverse. And the Lord has called us to fix our mind on that which is good and noble and righteous. The list could go on and on, right? But you see, the question is the same. Why do we choose differently than the world? And the answer is always the same. Because Jesus is amazing. Because my son or my daughter, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is God himself, he took on flesh and he made his dwelling among us. Because he saw our pitiful situation as slaves to sin. And by his sinless life, by his sin-bearing, sin-atoning, sin-forgiving death, he brought us out of that enslavement to sin with a mighty and powerful hand. You see, children, our sin was leading us to an eternal death sentence. Our sin was leading us to be, the, to be condemned by a holy God. And Jesus came to pave the road to eternal life. And he died and he took upon us the death sentence that we deserve ourselves. He took upon himself the wrath of God that would have fallen upon me had he not come and secured salvation for me. He came and offered up his life for all who believe in his name and he offers to all forgiveness. All who believe in his name, all who turn to him in faith and in trust, all of them can be saved by grace through faith in this excellent Lord Jesus Christ. And for so great and marvelous and magnificent a gift, my child, for so great and costly a sacrifice, for so wonderful and spectacular a love as this, how could we respond in any other way than by believing and trusting in His glorious name and revealing that in obedience? By revealing that love by trying to obey everything he has commanded us to do in his word. How could we try? Or how could we profess with our mouths. And then go out and live the opposite. Parents. Grandparents. Uh, aunts. Uncles. Friends. Make use of children's questions. Don't miss And don't waste any opportunities that you have to declare to them the majesty and the glory and the wonder of God. In Psalm 78, Asaph calls on us all to declare the Lord's work to the next generation. He said this, We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach their children and that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. And the entire book of Proverbs is set up it's written in such a way as so as to give us an example of a father taking seriously the necessity of tutoring his and teaching his son in the ways of the Lord. In Proverbs 1:8, hear my son your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. And again, in chapter 2, verse 1 of the Proverbs, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, and in chapter 3, verse 1 again, My son, do not forget my teaching. It's the repeated refrain of my son, along there, and, and that goes along with the appeal to keep and to treasure the teachings of his father. It is consistent throughout the Proverbs. The Proverbs are the effort of a caring father to instruct and to train and to prepare their children to live godly, responsible, moral lives in the fear of the Lord during their days on earth. And mothers, Solomon also assumes the importance of your wisdom as well in the stability of your family and the raising of your children and he calls on you also to commit yourself to teaching your children well and to making the most of every opportunity he calls you to the important task along with your husband of teaching the rules and the boundaries of the Lord in tandem with him in fact when we come to proverbs chapter 31 verse 1 and the words of king lemuel we are quite told quite specifically that these are the words of king lemuel a more an oracle that his mother taught him And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, writing to his young protege Timothy, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus, he said to him, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, where did Timothy learn all of these things? Paul tells us in chapter 1, verse 5, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Note the importance of fathers and mothers in the spiritual instruction of their children and their grandchildren. Both father and mother share in the task of raising up wise, God-fearing children. And father and mother provide the greatest opportunity for the blessing of our children. A father who is committed to the instruction and a mother who is committed to teaching, these are the great foundations for the development of wise, godly children. But to take this task seriously, as a father and a mother... It means that you, parents, must take your own spiritual life seriously. It means that you yourself must take the time that is necessary to know the scriptures, to understand the scriptures, that you know and you remember the gospel. You know the life that is called for by the gospel. It means that you are traveling ahead of your young ones in knowledge and in wisdom, that you yourself must be studying the Word and meditating on the Word and learning the Word and hearing the Word preached and doing the Word and teaching the Word to your children and your grandchildren. The great 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon once said this, "'Do you not know that from every little town and village and every tiny hamlet in England there is a road leading to London?' Whenever I get a hold of a text, I say to myself, there is a road to get from here to Christ. And I mean to keep on track till I get to him. So must we do, brethren. We must all have Christ in all of our discourses. Whatever else is in or not in them, there ought to be enough of the gospel in every sermon or in every teaching moment with our children to save a soul. Are you familiar enough with God's word to find the road to Christ in your children's questions. Are you familiar enough with Scripture that when your children ask you about something that is happening in the world or something that is happening in their life, that you can use that as an opportunity to take the road to London or the gospel? You see, all the events in your life and in your children's lives can in some way provide you with an opportunity to teach about and point to the glorious soul-saving work of Jesus Christ because guess what? Jesus Christ is the reason for everything. He is the center of it all and everything can point to Him. Have you put in the time and the effort to at least be minimally comfortable in doing this? If not, what is it that you're spending your time on? What is it that you're learning or taking part in that is that important that it would keep you from developing a greater knowledge of the scriptures for the sake of your family line? For the sake of your descendants, for the sake of your future generations. In the same way, when you go fly and fly somewhere, not fly but get on a plane and fly, when you, you have the airline person, running through the safety procedures, they tell you, in case of emergency, if the oxygen mask falls, what do you do first? You put it on yourself before you put it on somebody else. And so you, parents, must be resolute and insistent that you know the word and the will of God in order to help your children. Because what good will you be to anyone if you're suffocating? How can the suffocating assist the suffocating? That's how everyone on the plane dies. Now, someone might say here today, that sounds an awful lot like indoctrinating our kids. I say, no, it's not. It is responsible, God-honoring parenting. It is parents seeking the benefit and the blessing Of the Lord for our children. If you are thinking to yourself, (coughs) I don't want to indoctrinate my kids, that just means your mind is worldly. Do not allow the world and do not allow the culture that you live in to make you feel guilty or to shame you into thinking you're doing something wrong by raising up your children in the fear and in the admonition of the Lord. By you training your children in the way that they should go so that they don't depart from it every day for all the days of their life. And listen, To anyone here who might say something like, you know what, I'm not going to teach them anything like this. I'm not going to teach them things about religion. I'm going to let them grow up and I'm going to let them make their own minds. I'm not going to sway them one way or another. A couple of things that I want to say about that. First, it's disobedience and rebellion against your God. The Lord has blessed us, many of us, with children and grandchildren for the purpose of discipling them teaching them and leading them in paths of godliness. There is a reason the Lord put that child in your home. And second, the world is a liar. The world will not follow its own rules in this regard. It will not play fair. It'll not follow the rules that it's trying to put on you. If you aren't committed to to leading your children in paths of holiness, let me just say to you, I guarantee you this, the world will be more than happy to pick up your slack. The world will be more than happy to indoctrinate your children and to lead them away from Christ toward the broad road that leads to destruction. Just look at what the world is trying to stuff in your mind and in your children's minds and hearts even now. You see, our culture will associate sexual promiscuity, irreparable bodily harm, confusion about biology, the murder of babies in the womb, the worship of self, and numerous other anti-God, anti-Christ notions. They will take those things and paint them with the colors of liberty, autonomy, and authenticity. That's what the world is going to try and do to your kids and to your grandkids. And if we aren't training up our children teaching them good from evil, the ways of the Lord uh, over the ways of Satan, if we aren't actively setting up boundaries around their cultural consumption and promoting in them a joyful life of self-denial and obedience to Christ as true liberty, if we aren't deliberately and diligently about this thing, these things, then the very culture that is accusing you of indoctrinating your children, as it is accusing you of doing so, will have no problem stepping in and doing to your children the very thing it is accusing you of. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to it in any way. All they are selling you is a heap of lies, and our children are too valuable to be given up to those lies. Don't listen to their satanic deceptions that are designed to embarrass you As you try to live and act like a Christian, as you try to obey God, don't let the world humiliate you for doing the very things God commands you to do. I'm often, I'm oftentimes shocked at how offended the world is by the fact that Christians would live according to the scriptures. Or that we would believe what the scriptures tell us. Or that we would transmit the truth of the scriptures to our next generations because Jesus came to give life and life to the full. And what's more, the world and the devil will also try to make you think that if you were to promote godliness in your family, that you would push your kids away. I can't do that. My kids will leave the house. Regardless of what happens, God's way is always the best way. Always, regardless of what happens. So, who cares what the world thinks? Shrug with me, who cares what the world thinks? You make the will of God known to your children. And listen, it's never too late, never too late. Who cares what the world says about you doing that? Why would we be more attuned and attentive to the so-called wisdom of the world, a wisdom that God very explicitly says is foolishness, a wisdom that is propagated by the enemies of the cross, meaning those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, those whom the Bible and our God calls fools, the principle of making the goodness and the glory and the majesty and the will and the powerful deeds of the Lord known to our children carries on into the New Testament. It is still our duty. It is still my duty as a father of three. It is your duty as a mother or father of how many. It is your duty as a grandparent of however many. It is your duty as an aunt or as an uncle It is still our duty as parents. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but listen, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Doesn't get much clearer than that, right? Parents, bring your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. If I start on this next section, I won't get it done, so I'm going to let you guys off early today. Let me just say this. If you would act in a loving manner toward the world that we live in, then shout from the rooftops. Don't just limit it to your children, but shout it from the rooftops. The words of the Lord are life and blessing, and salvation. If you would love your brothers and sisters in Christ, never stop speaking to them about the life-giving words of God, whether they be encouragements to hold fast and to persevere, or rebukes and admonishments to put sin away. Never stop. And if you would love those in your own household, husbands, Love your wives by leading them in the word of God. And wives, respect your husbands by displaying to them the Lord's work in you, which we read in 1st Peter, that quiet and gentle spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. And mothers and fathers and grandparents, if you would love your children and your children's children, then you take care and keep your soul diligently. Make the words of the Lord known to your children and to your children's children, and dedicate and devote yourself to growing in the knowledge of God's Word for the sake and benefit of your children. For the glory of the Lord, and for the blessing of your descendants, for the blessing of your children, for the blessing of your children's children for a thousand generations, That's what the Lord says, right? He blesses to a thousand generations. May you commit to obeying the Lord, meditating on his word, and teaching it to your children and your children's children. Father, we thank you for this time that we have had today. We are so thankful for baptisms and salvation. We are so thankful for souls that you have renewed, souls that you have saved. And Lord, I know that the subject matter we talked about this morning is, is a sensitive one. And so I ask that you would be comforting parents at this moment who may not have, who haven't been uh, taking seriously their, their own faith and taking seriously the, the propagation of their faith to their children. I pray that you would comfort them with the fact that it's never too late. They can start now. I pray for all of the children here at Winona Gospel Church that the Holy Spirit would be living in them, turning their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and helping them to see the words of their parents as they try to diligently lead in the ways of God. And Father, we trust you in all of it, regardless of what happens. We know that obedience to your will and obedience to your word is the best way. Father, bless this church as we seek to bless our children and our children's children. Bless this church as we seek to glorify your name in all things. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.